Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, to all the agency and marketed doomsdayers out there, this one's for you. In 2019, before any globetrotting virus shut us all down, Suncorp CMO Mim Hasem and a team gave Leo Burnett a brief to do something around the theme of resilience as Australia faced mind-bending floods, bushfires and storms. Three years later, it's literally been a project in the making for that long. Project One House is a fine example of what good looks like in tapping public sentiment, climate change, sustainability, purpose, community, authenticity, commercial results and even industry and government policy. And it's all out of an insurer's marketing team. The CSIRO, James Cook University, fancied architects Room 11 and equally fancied production outfit The Glue Society were all in on this one. Indeed, One House is probably the antithesis of the Scotty from Marketing jab, and it's a great case study and prosecution for creativity, ideas, collaboration, long-range planning and execution, and the powerful role for creative agencies when they get it right. Now, in the last 45 seconds, I've just lobbed every industry platitude, buzzword and motherhood statement known to we humans, but it's not too far from the truth. So with such a gushing setup, clearly I'm mellowing with age. We've got Mim Hasem and Leo Bennett's chief client partner, Amanda Wheeler, on the mics to talk through how One House became a clever beast and its market impact. So welcome to you both. This is a good one. It's a really interesting one, Mim. Before we sort of get into how it all emerged, maybe we should flip the sequence here and start at the end first. So for the listener, what is One House and Resilience Road? And then we'll cover how you got there because it is really, really interesting. But One House and Resilience Road, talk us through what it is today and we'll reverse engineer everything. Welcome, Mim. Yeah, thanks for having me, Paul, and for talking about this project because it's one that we're pretty passionate about. So always happy to have a chat about it. I'll start with One House because that's where this started. One House is basically a project that we undertook with our agency partners and, as you talked about, some other external partners, James Cook University, CSIRO and Room 11. We had a really strong brief around what we wanted to do with the Suncorp Insurance brand in Queensland to bring to life our brand purpose of building futures and protecting what matters. And we identified an idea to really start working with some partners to see how we could make homes more resilient to things like bushfires, floods and cyclones. And the ultimate goal of that for us as an organisation was to establish a case for updating housing standards in Queensland and advocating with government to do that. So One House is the project or the name of the project where we did partner with JCU CSIRO. We did a whole lot of work with Room 11 architects to actually design a prototype of a house, a one-quarter scale house. We could actually build resilience elements into the house and then we tested it in things like CSIRO's backburning station to test it in terms of its resilience against those perils. And through that journey, that prototyping, designing, testing, we filmed a whole lot of that work. And we also engaged with customers and communities who had been impacted by those perils. And off the back of that work, we created a documentary, a whole lot of content to educate customers, communities, and also a campaign 
And so as part of that, we didn't just do the work on the prototyping. We also built new product features, something called Build It Back Better, where if you're a Suncorp insurance customer, we offer about $10,000 worth of resilience upgrades to your house if you've been impacted by a weather event. So it was a massive project. The intent of it was to show communities how we could help them to be more resilient from those perils. Following on from that, because that actually went into market quite a while ago, it went back into market uh, April last year. We wanted to take that to the next step this year. And so just last month, we launched our Resilience Road campaign, which takes the One House Learnings, I guess, a step further uh, in terms of we've taken five real life homes in one street in Rockhampton and we've upgraded and put resilience modifications that we learnt about through the One House experiment into real life homes. Um, and again, we engaged the owners of those homes in the community to hear about their stories and created lots of content and, and a campaign around that as well. Again, to show customers in real life how easy it is to make some pretty simple upgrades that will enable your home to be more resilient. So if you are impacted by a weather event, your home is more resilient and you can also get back into your home afterwards much faster. Because the biggest challenge we have in communities after these weather events is the longer you're out of your home, the greater the social, economic, mental health impact. So these resilience upgrades, if they can help protect your home more, you can either stay in your home and or get back into it faster. Uh, and that's what we really wanted to show through Resilience Road, how we can do that in real life quite easily. And there's some really, really interesting technology gone into the one house prototype, right? And I guess the same with the houses that are on Resilience Road in Rockhampton in that one thing that stood out for me, and we talked about this, is amazing technology around gutters and it's sort of a poly, like a plastic based gutter that doesn't catch the leaves. And then so you don't have sort of fuel for fires. And on top of that, if there is a fire, it melts, it melts and doesn't actually create any any more. So it's all this sort of technology you've built into the prototype that's really, really fascinating and practical and helpful, right? Yeah. And there's loads of those examples. So things like mesh screens that can help protect you um, from fires because if the embers can't get into the house and it's actually usually the furniture catching fire that does the most inside out damage, things like that, things like screws on your roofing um, that is more flexible and therefore resilient to cyclones and it stops your roof from lifting off. One of my favourite things in Resilience Road that is so simple is one of one of the families that we did the upgrades for their air conditioning units were sitting outside of the home and we actually put the air conditioning units underneath the home so that if there was high winds, they don't become projectiles. Also, they don't get damaged and therefore need to be replaced. So really simple things like thinking about where something like an air conditioning unit is sitting inside or outside your home can make a massive, a massive difference. Well, I sound like a wannabe saying sustainable architect here, but the other thing too was even in the prototype house, it was the opposite where the air conditioning, the hot water cylinder was in the roof to protect it even more. So there's sort of even another level you can go to do all this. So it's some really fascinating stuff there. Now, we're going to come back and talk about what's happened as a result to the business and public, you know, customer attitudes and prospects and so forth. But this wasn't what was planned in 2019, Mim. When you sent the brief to, when you gave Leo Burnett the brief to go, let's do something around resilience, what did it look like? And then what happened? Because it changed quite considerably. 
Yeah, well, I mean, the brief was around how do we bring to life protecting the Queensland way of life and resilience. Uh, and the Leo's team had come up with a lovely idea around an activation of, you know, what a house could look like uh, if it was more resilient. I think, so the kernel of the idea was there, but as we started... So just to be clear, this wasn't an ad campaign brief, it was something broader than that, or it was an ad campaign that ended up Burnett said, let's do an activation with a prototype. It was a brief for what is our next activity. So I didn't brief it with channels. Right. So it was, we want to come up with an idea that is going to elevate our strategic pillar of resilience and enable us to talk to customers, communities and government around resilience. Got it. And so Leo's came back with an activation idea and we really loved it. But what we realised quite quickly was it could be a much bigger and a much larger experiment, if you like. And also we realised that the brief we had given was for a campaign to be in market in, you know, sort of four or five months. And to do this properly, we were going to need to really think about it, invest in it, get great partners. So I think the kernel of the idea was there, but it was at a much smaller scale. And, you know, when we sort of started talking about the potential of it, we all agreed that it could be something much bigger. So we said, well, let's park it, really think about how big we could make this, what sort of investment would be required. And in the meantime, give me another interim campaign to give us the space to do this really properly. Right. And so if we just go to Amanda for a second, so when the agency came back with the activation idea and then Suncorp said, love it, but let's go bigger, what happened and how did it all come about? Yes, that's when the agency has to go into problem-solving mode, but you don't do that on your own. Suncorp have an incredible network of connections and they do have a strong relationship with James Cook University and um, the CSIRO. So it was reaching out to those partners to see, is this feasible? And that was the great thing that Suncorp came and said, all right, let's find out if it's feasible. We'll give you some money to scope this project over the next couple of months to make sure that we can do it. And that was the trust because that's not easy commitment to do. So we took that scoping money and we brought um, the Glue Society in and then went out to these partners and found out what elements would we need to make this one house that we started to call it. And then we brought in architecture firm Room 11 to make design it around all of those principles. And that was kind of the genesis of it and how the journey started. So how long did it take from start to end of the scoping project to go, okay, and then from Mim and team to go, this is good? I think the initial one was three months, wasn't it, Mim? Yeah, maybe a bit longer. I think the scoping was about four months. Yeah. And then idea to execution in market was about 18 months. 18 so, months, right. Yeah, so we scoped it for about four and then uh, production was a little over 12. And so just on the budget for this, because we were talking about it earlier, it's really interesting because it does seem like when you start rolling in sustainable house design, home design, sort of perils of weather and so forth, this seems to go beyond marketing, but this stayed as a marketing-funded project, Mim, is that right, all the way through? Yeah, absolutely. It, it was um, funded out of the marketing budget. And, you know, I think the, <laughs> the benefit of it being a, a long-term project was that I could tap into budgets in different financial years, Right, which yes, was you bridged FYs. Yeah, yeah, well, and we needed to with a project of that scale, with that sort of level of delivery. But, yeah, it was absolutely marketing funded and born and bred and, and executed in the marketing department. It's been quite an efficient play because all of those insights that we gathered and all of that education that we created, we're continuing to use as we iterate the campaign forward. So those learnings, those insights, those behaviours that we create, you know, invested in are definitely what we're still building the campaigns off. 
Yeah, so it's got more life yet. Mim, what was the range for the budget? <laughs> what did it sit between? You always ask me budget questions. You know I can't answer those ones. And I tried not to smile as well, but it didn't work. Okay, so, I mean, for something <laughs> like that, it would have to be a sort of at least one to two mil, right? Yeah. Two to four? <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to get anywhere, am I? Okay. So, but it's significant. Anyway, let's put it that way. So let's talk through the process. So was it clear, what was the response from the partners, from the architects, from James Cook and so forth? Like, was there a, ooh, not sure about this or is, yeah, we can do this? And where did the, how did the process work in terms of coming up with all these products and technologies that build into a one house, you know, a resilient house? How did that work? I have to say it was such a joy to be part of. It was genuinely one of the best collaborations I've ever experienced and I'm sure pretty much everyone that worked on it would say the same thing because once you start bringing all of these great minds together, creative minds, scientific minds, the ideas that come from that are quite profound and and quite amazing and there was so much passion within the group of people that were executing this to make it happen and I think a lot of that was born from it being really customer and community centric. What we wanted to do was create fantastic impact for communities in terms of them being more resilient. And once you start, if you've watched the documentary, once you start hearing the stories of the families that have been impacted severely by major weather events, they're very emotional stories um, and the impact is really profound. And, And so I think the people that we were working with, if they hadn't experienced that before, once we started sharing those experiences through our customers with them, Um, They were so passionate about leading the charge on innovating and helping to drive resilience into our communities to really help minimise that impact wherever we possibly can. So there was a great desire to innovate. There was a great desire to push the boundaries and to go above and beyond. And so what happened though, once you sort of built out the one house prototype and knew what it was going to look like and you got, there's a, you know, I looked at your website and the sort of collateral around that and it's really interesting and informative. But how did you take it from an idea to then getting it into the mainstream? I know you talked about a documentary. Was that the first off the rank? And that again, how did, where did the documentary air? What happened? How did you mainstream this? Yeah, well, we had a really clear view of what we wanted to do with the project, and that was to use it in different channels to build a campaign and a campaign that we could use for 12 months for the Suncorp insurance brand, at least 12 months. And so we had a really clear strategy on how we were going to bring it to life, and that included, to your point, a documentary. And we were really fortunate that once we'd made the documentary, it was quite compelling, and so Channel 9 came on board and agreed to run that documentary for us. And then beyond that, we created a campaign in terms of content, as you normally would, to to live online in an information hub, to create content that could sit as video online, to create all of your traditional channels as well. So we knew really early on that we wanted the project to be something that we could take to audiences en masse. And so we planned for that and we shot and we produced throughout the course of the production of the project and the experiment itself. Before we get into some results and talk more broadly about purpose and sustainability and even perhaps a bit of greenwashing, Mim, is this notion that, you know, you hear the debate regularly in market around how agencies and creative agencies and agencies full stop sort of losing their mojo. This is the opposite of this, right? So, you know, this is a great example of what you hear rhetorically around creative agencies is it's an idea, their ideas houses. In this instance, it's absolutely proven true and a big ideas house that really worked. 
So th- this challenges, as I said in the setup, the doomsdayers, right? I just wanted your thoughts on that, Mim, because you've got an agency background as well. Your thoughts on the role of agencies, creative agencies. There's so much debate about it, right? Yeah, well, in our model and, you know, in, and in the village that we have, our creative agencies play a really critical role because they are the people that come up with the creative ideas um, and help us execute brilliantly against them. I think at the role of my team and Suncorp is we have to be really clear on our strategy and we have to write really great briefs right. so the agency knows what we're asking them to do. But then where you get the best work from is where you give your creative agencies scope to be creative and you trust in the process and you help to amplify the ideas that they bring to the table. We wouldn't have got to one house without Leo's, without a doubt. There's no question about that. The idea came from Leo's and then we all work together to make it happen and bring other parties in to execute on it. That's invaluable to me. So I don't question the value of my creative agencies in terms of the impact that they bring to my brands and, and to my business, not for a second. Amanda, just on that, so how did the team get to the idea? I'm interested in, you know, was it done in a, you know, on the footy pitch or a netball court? Because I know Suncorp sponsors the netball, correct, Mim? Yep. Or is that, oh, it's not, I'm glad about that. I hope you hadn't finished that one. So what happened on your side? What happened? How did the team come up with this idea of the prototyping and a sustainable one house? Was it a big magic moment or was it a grind over about 13,000 wines? No, the irony was, as Mim had mentioned before, that Dad briefed it and we'd come back to them with a campaign about TVCs and all of those traditional things. And we had this as an activation, as a, a potential supplement to the original idea. So the creative right. team working on it had come across it, had done a lot of research themselves. The other great thing about working with Suncorp is they let you behind the curtain. They're a true business partner, so we know what all of their relationships are. We know what all their business metrics are. So we've been feeding that into the creative teams and the creative team had just put this on there as an extra element for an activation that really did answer the brief, but we knew we maybe not be able to do it in in the amount of time. So everyone had a lot of faith in it and a lot of excitement around it, but was it doable in the time frame that we had? We obviously, you know, that was an issue. But with the faith of Suncorp, we said, well, let's go back. And once that did it, it was like a a match to an explosive opportunity within the agency. Everyone jumped on. We couldn't wait to get the right partners in, started talking with everybody, and it just had that kind of frisson of excitement that went through everyone. And how often does that happen in the agency? You want it to happen more. Right, Um, yeah, good answer. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Amanda for Prime Minister, I think. It's set up for success in those. You know, these days, you know, time is what those big ideas often require and that we don't always have those. So that's the pleasure of dealing with this. You know, we're already talking, we've just launched a, a month ago the Resilience Road campaign, but we're always already talking about what the next iteration would look like so that we we have those opportunities to do that big thinking. And because big ideas take time, um, they take investment and they take commitment. And I think that's the gift that we're given as an agency partner. Now, Mim, I know you're not going to tell me again the number, the figure, but let's just go to if you hadn't done one house and, you know, you talked about bridging your budget over a couple of financial years to fund it and so forth. If you hadn't done, what didn't you do because of one house? What would you have done, or should I reframe the question, what would you have done if you didn't have one house? What was on the agenda that you had to chop and change? Look, it would have been more traditional campaign work, more product work. I didn't have to forego a sponsorship or a partnership or anything like that. It was, I think, a more innovative way to approach spending our budget rather than more of the same, which is, you know, 
ad hoc, bespoke, sometimes one-off campaigns, not that we do a lot of them, but that's the alternative. So for us, this was absolutely worth the time and worth the investment because it was something significant for us that was really going to bring to life our brand DNA and our brand purpose. Okay. And so now to the results, because I get admonished I mean, by mm. your marketing peers all the time on these podcasts to go, <laughs> what about the results? You know, what happens? So I know you're um, sort of heading into earnings results and announcements, so you've got to be a little bit careful, but did it work? Yeah, absolutely. On a lot of fronts, right? So when we think about um, a project or a campaign, we've always got really clear metrics against it. Some of them are brand equity metrics, some of them are business metrics. So I'm happy to sort of talk percentages to both. So in terms of brand consideration uh, in the Queensland market with non-Suncorp customers, we saw an increase of 12 percentage points in consideration amongst non-Suncorp customers. So that's pretty significant and that's in a short period of time. How does that compare, Mim, to some of the other work you've done historically? Is that a sort of a leading number or sits in about what you'd expect? Yeah, no, it's significant. Right. It's absolutely significant. It's probably double what we've seen before. Okay. Yeah, so it's a big uplift. Things like inquiries around the brand, inquiries around the new products. We saw an uplift in inquiries of about 38%. We had a target of about 10 on that, which at the time we thought was quite punchy. So it really performed above and beyond there. And similarly, I mean, quotes is, is probably an easy business one to talk about without giving too much away. But we saw an uplift of about 25% in customers coming to us asking for a quote and engaging with the brand. So that's brand. Over what period was that, Mem? That was versus prior year. Okay. So we looked at that on like a three-month rolling average versus prior year. So what you're seeing there is really strong brand impacts and also really strong business performance. And then when we test our brand perception metrics as well, we really overperformed with Suncorp on um, supporting the community, being innovative, understanding what I need as a customer. So the brand perception and the NPS also saw really strong um, uplifts over the last 12 months with One House being in market as well. And I don't want to get deep into attribution modelling, but you can safely assume that or you are safely allocating or attributing the Campaign Act or the activity around One House and Resilience Road to those business metrics numbers you just talked about. It's purely, I mean, you've convinced that as the link. That's the causal effect. Yeah, absolutely. We can see the parallels in the lines of when we push activity into market versus when we start to see those numbers lift. So we can see that quite directly as a cause. I think the other thing that we're really proud of is, and it's not a numbers metric, but since One House and the organisation and Suncorp really pushing and advocating for resilience, we've worked with the Insurance Council of Australia and they've launched the Project Resilience, which aims to embed resilience into the National Construction Code by 2025. And we've also seen the federal government recently announce a $600 million resilience fund for disaster mitigation programs. And that has come about because we've helped to elevate, I believe, we've helped to elevate the conversation around resilience, particularly in the Queensland market. And so I think, you know, there are some things that you can't necessarily measure with a percentage, but you know that this work has helped elevate and drive some of those conversations and outcomes. Mm. To your point, it's shaping industry and government policy. Yeah, which is exactly what we set out to do. Not bad for marketing. (laughs) Not bad, huh? Yeah. Can I, just before we get into a little bit more around the public sentiment and the times, the sentiment we're sort of seeing at the moment post the election and so forth, Amanda, what happened with some of the content responses from companies, oh, sorry, from people? 
Yeah, I mean, the first thing was when we launched it, we had over 300 pieces of earned content, you know, so it created a discussion. So it wasn't just us talking to ourselves about ourselves. It was talking to, you know, a state of being, you know, for the whole country. And we had coverage across, you know, serious media that this was becoming an issue and that we should be thinking differently about it. So that immediately set an agenda for that. And then consequently, we had huge engagement, you know, because each person, you know, that touched the campaign in three or four different places, you know, and then they went to learn more. In the first couple of months of the campaign, we had 110,000 people go to the website to learn more. And then they spent an average time of four minutes there, which is quite high in any kind of measure because they wanted to, as you've done yourself, you've talked through it. They went in, they learned one thing and then it has a knock-on effect and they came back and we all could see the repeat visit as well. So that level of engagement is really unusual for a campaign alone to have that level of engagement. So, and then we had the documentary itself. Mm. Channel 9 came to the party and, and ran it with us, you know, thanks to our help from OND. And people watched that, then went to the website, and we could actually track that happening. And you can see the real-life engagement with it, which was really buoying for us, you know, as we watched those campaign metrics. And the other one, Mim was talking about those brand metrics. The other one that was really important was us was differentiation that we stood out in the category, that this was work that differentiated us from some of our competitors, that we were having a conversation that the others weren't. Good. And so with the current campaign that was launched, I think, last month or in recent weeks, Resilience Road, which is the five homes in Rockhampton, is it state-based now or have you gone national? No, Resilience Road is uh, specific to the Queensland market for Suncorp Insurance, yeah. Right question from an outsider, could it go national? It seems like it fits nationally with everything. Yeah, look, I think from a corporate affairs, from a Suncorp group corporate brand perspective, it's national, absolutely. And we we use it as a platform when we talk about the group and what we're doing in terms of resilience and, and advocacy. We did create this project specifically for the Suncorp insurance brand, which is in Queensland, uh, because it was about protecting the Queensland way of life. Right. The learnings that have come from that and some of the underpinnings, absolutely, they flow through the total business. But we've got a portfolio of nine brands and our brands have to play a different role in the portfolio. They operate in different markets, targeting different segments. So for us, the overtness of One House and Resilience Road is the activity that we're doing for Suncorp. Of course, we take the learnings and we use that within the inner workings of the organisation. But in terms of forward-facing brand, for us, it's strongest for Suncorp right now. Okay. And so let's sort of finish up with this conversation around what's going on with the public mood, the public mindset, sentiment in and around sustainability and resilience and facing what's coming at us with these big weather events that keep coming at us all. Interestingly, even in Queensland, right, it's like a, wow, surprise to see in the federal election in parts of um, Queensland, even the Greens getting up as, you know, with seats in the lower house, which is sort of unprecedented and certainly unprecedented for Queensland. It does it point to something broader that's going on with the public, Mim? Do you think this and what you've done is tap it early? Yeah, undoubtedly. Look, I think um, the election result has shown that. I think we've all seen research recently from a, a range of companies which is showing and telling us that customers are ex- and communities expect organisations and brands to step up and play a role in CSR and sustainability in addressing climate change. So we did tap that early, absolutely. And I think it's going to be interesting um, in the next little while because I think a lot of brands are going to realise that if they haven't already, that those areas are really important and they're important to customers and communities. 
What's going to be interesting is to see how much they lean into that because I think the risk for brands where you know, resilience, sustainability is not core to their purpose or their DNA. They run the risk of looking like they're greenwashing. So we were fortunate. Yes, we tapped into it early, but also, you know, resilience and building futures and protecting what matters, that's our purpose. It's core to our DNA. So I think the work that we've done with One House and Resilience Road, it's very authentic. And we're not just saying we're doing it, we're actually doing it and we've been doing it for years. So I think we've got a real competitive advantage in that respect. I think more companies should lean into it and I think more will, but they've got to have a clear role and be quite authentic in the way they do it. Or or I think, you know, customers will call them on it. And it's perplexing, actually, I was at a a roundtable with about 20 marketers a few weeks ago on this with the CEO of Unilever. And it was really interesting. I think it was a Century Roundtable. And basically, there's a lot of marketers still grappling with how they do this well and properly, right? So you've found a good base, an authentic base to do it. But it is, they're struggling with the authenticity. They don't want to go out and they're concerned about the backlash and even perhaps even legal ramifications. So it's a big challenge. Is that what you're getting when you talk to your peers, Mem, your marketing peers outside the organisation? You know, I'm assuming you talk to them. You're quite <laughs> yeah. friendly. Do, do you pick that up at all? I think what is there is that conversation around is your purpose still resonating with customers and how do you bring that to life? And how do you not jump on the next bandwagon? Because I think all of the marketers I talk to, they're pretty sophisticated people. (laughs) And so I think they understand the need to lean into consumer sentiment, but they also understand the need for it to be relevant to their brand and to be authentic. So, you know, I think there's absolute awareness of it and discussion around it. But I do think that in the main, the marketers that I talk to in this country are pretty tapped into how consumers react to things and where the greyness and the lines are in that. There's always the odd mistake someone makes, but, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is the other thing too, right? Funnily enough, um, we're all human. We do make those things now and again. So, you know, there's a little bit of slack. Even I make mistakes. I know. Crazy (laughs) thinking about that. Amanda, what's your thoughts on what's going on with the public sentiment and the mood in around this? The core is that, you know, as Mim was talking to it, that it has to be a role for your brand to play in it. Otherwise, then there's a, you know, a disorientation to it. This brief that we're talking about is based on the consumer need. It's also based around an authentic product. You know, um, me mentioned earlier, the Build It Back Better product. This is a recognising that when you have a devastating event, we need you to get you back into your home as quickly as possible. But wouldn't it be better if it was the better home than what you had in the first place? So it's really tapping into those insights. Otherwise, it's not you're not doing anything. You're just doing the greenwashing. You're just talking the talk. The authenticity is the biggest part of it to make it meaningful. And you also have to do the thinking behind it, right? This is what we took the time to do. You don't want to rush to market because that's you can make your brand vulnerable and that's the last thing you want to do. Mm, well, rush you didn't do and it was actually a rare case, I guess, where, you know, we talked earlier about the long-range planning on this. It was you gave it some space. So listen, you authentic one houses. What's next? So, Mim, what happens from your perspective the next 12 months on this? And then I'll get Amanda's take on it too. Yeah, well, I mean, similar from where we started, One House into Resilience Road, we're always looking at what's next. And we're also constantly looking at what we're doing in terms of product innovation to take to our customers to help to support this. We're constantly lobbying government. So what's next? Well, I can't tell you what the next thing looks like. Otherwise, somebody will jump on it and copy it, won't they? It's happened before. But you've got something, you've got it in the pipe. Yeah, we're working on it. Okay. Well, I'm not even going to, yeah, exactly. I'm not even going to try on that one because I know I'm going to get nowhere. Amanda, what's next? (laughs) And maybe you'll tell me. Mim's not going to. 
we've started discussions already. You know, we're only one month out with Resilience Road. We're still focusing on, on rolling that campaign out because that will run for the next year. So it's really, you know, we're waiting, you know, to see how that works and what learnings we have from that. We've created, brought our whole agency village together to start pulling that apart and start planning for the next one. So, you know, we're in that space. Um, so stay tuned. So just a hint, though, is it going to be something different or is it a derivative from what you've already done with One House and Resilience Road? I think everything we do is linked. You know, the link between One House and Resilience Road is really tangible. We took it and we put it into practice and we we became about one street. You know, one house was one house to many houses and we went to one house to one street and the ambition is to put as many Queensland as possible on the road to resilience. So that's where we're heading. So you're going to go to one city then maybe? <laughs> you're starting, you're starting yeah. to ideate for us, Paul. <laughs> ah, no, I'm just trying to get it out, but it's not going to happen. Listen, Mim and Amanda, great conversation, really, really interesting case study and, you know, a sign of the times and right for the times, I think. So well done and um, look forward to whatever comes next in the next year and I'll put my hand up and go, let me know about a week before you do it. That'd be helpful. Stay safe. Good to talk, both of you. Great. Thank Thanks, you very Paul. much. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 audio edition to listen for free. Listener.